Good morning, wherever you may be. This is Anthony Stein, Return to Tradition, coming to you live, at least at the point of broadcast, <laughs> the wee hours of the morning on October 29th, 2023. Going to discuss the final document of this phase of the Synod on Synodality. I say this phase because many people think this is the end of the Synod, that it's over. It's not. In October 2024, they are going to reconvene again in Rome to discuss the James Martin topic and among a few other things, but that's really going to be the uh, thrust, we'll say, of that meeting. It's unfortunate because there was a little bit of hubbaloo on the online yesterday when the late in the afternoon here in America, almost middle of the night when they issued the document, when people noticed the lack of the James Martin topic being talked about at all in that document. There's a passing reference to uh, sciences and ideologies and things that might be that, but otherwise it's not there. And some people took that to mean that they were just ignoring the topic entirely and surrendering to people like us. That's not what's happening. So right up front, let's remind ourselves, like a week ago, either Francis or one of the cardinals at the synod, Hollerick or Gresh or maybe Father Ruffini, one of those figures said that topic was being tabled until the next meeting of the synod of synodality in October 2024. It's like one of the primary focuses of discussion. So don't take that as a victory at all. They're going to be spending a lot of time on that. This document was just a sort of a synthesis document of everything they spoke about at this synod. And it's bad. This document is actually pretty bad. And for tomorrow's video, I'm going to, this isn't going to just be me telling you this either, because tomorrow's video is mainstream English language, Catholic news outlets, and a cardinal whom I've talked about a lot on this channel, who was there warning us of what they're really trying to go for. And you're going to see some of that in this this discussion we go over. So I'm going to give you not everything said in the document, because the document is like 40 something pages long. If I were to just verbatim read it, it would take two hours probably for you. But the other problem is that the document is just vapid. It's filled with a lot of the ambiguous feel-good language of group hugs, accompaniment, kumbaya, and all that junk. Instead, we're going to talk about sections. There'll be some quotes from it here as we go on. So just good morning to everybody here checking in at the chat. Nancy Leiper, uh, the movie that quote comes from is a classic, but it's also um, got some of the impurity in it that you would call it th that are characteristic of movies from the 1970s when it came out. But otherwise, it's a classic. If you can find a VidAngel version, you might be able to get away with it. But yeah, this document is it's revolutionary. It's what it's meant to be. But it's written in such a way that most people can't pick up on that. So let's just get right into it. huh? So let me get to my notes here. <laughs> I was writing something for something else here. So the first impression. And it's this it's it, the quote that I'm going to give you here is odd. It's the first impression, right? Because it it's the first time I've seen the term conciliar used by the Vatican II crowd in a way very similar to how we traditional Catholics who criticize Vatican II and talk about things as the conciliar church. It's not when you hear that term, it's not usually meant as a compliment. And the first time I've heard a, something very similar to it seen used by, a you know, Vatican approved people. 
in it that they admit that the church at present is markedly different than the church that came before the council. Take that for your hermeneutic of continuity and, you know, a, un, an underhanded jab at it. Then again, Francis declared the hermeneutic of continuity basically dead. He did that a couple of years ago now. Hence all the, all the horse memes about that you've seen. But this is from very early in the text. Quote, the entire journey rooted in the tradition of the church is taking place in the light of the conciliar magisterium. Conciliar magisterium, folks, what does that mean? The Second Vatican Council was, in fact, like a seed sown in the field of the world and the church. The daily lives of believers, the experience of the churches in every people and culture, the many testimonies of holiness, and the reflections of theologians were the soil in which it germinated and grew. Synod 2021 to 2024 continues to draw on the energy of that seed and develop its potential. Indeed, the synodal journey is implementing what the council taught about the church as mystery in people of God, called to holiness. It values the contribution of all the baptized in the variety of their vocations to a better understanding and practice of the gospel. In this sense, it constitutes a true act of further reception of the council prolonging its inspiration and relaunching for today's world its prophetic voice. End quote. Ah, yes, the reception of the council, the holy council, the, the only council that matters in the history of the church. Uh, what is my take? I've not read that letter. Is it new or is this an old letter? I, I haven't read it. Um. Mark Becker sounds like uh, stuff from the '60s. Yeah, it does. And well, that's because the council or the the church right now is ideologically locked in the 1960s and the 1970s. It just is. It hasn't emerged from that yet. Let's move on. So, particular cons issues of concern for us from this document, this enormous document. Like for, again, recapping for those who've just joined us, the James Martin sin. It's barely addressed. Some outcry from the modernists on this and some premature celebration from those with sensible attitudes about the law of God has happened since the documents come out. Modernist journalist Christopher Lamb notes on Twitter, he writes for the tablet, which used to be a great uh, it, out, uh, news outlet from the UK, but is now America Magazine, the UK, basically. He says on Twitter, quote, there's likely to be disappointment regarding any shift in the church's ministry to uh, Jimmy Martin Catholics as the discussion that took place in the synod over this topic does not seem to be in the final text. But the text does say that when it comes to things of the flesh, there are times when the church's anthropological categories are not able to grasp the complexities of experience or knowledge in the sciences and require greater precision and further study. End quote. The other thing he doesn't mention, no one has mentioned this, and I, for whatever reason, I'm the only one that remembers, is that the synod we were told where it was coming, was going to pick this topic up again, October 2024, at the next and presumably final meeting of the synod of sin. I mean, synodality. <laughs> so let's move on. What no one in the established Catholic media are mentioning is that like what I just said, this is not the end of the topic. So another note here, the document recognizes the validity of schismatic self-described Christian groups. That's a novelty and notes that synodality was expressed differently in them. This is acknowledging their validity. This will alone will probably earn this document condemnation by a future Pope or council, God willing. Uh, 
It also describes a desire for the church to become less bureaucratic and more listening. Listening to what and for what purpose isn't clear, since the purpose of the church's existence is to spread the gospel. The document also calls for the church to be less centralized, to decentralize. That's key. That is one of the key things here, because as I'll tell you about tomorrow, they're going to attempt to try to change doctrine by decentralizing the church, by putting more authority into the hands of, of the worst catechized generations in the entire history of the church. But hey, we know on the upside, we finally get a definition of synodality, a good one, good meaning relatively clear, quote, synodality can be understood as the walk of Christians with Christ and toward the kingdom together with all humanity. Mission-oriented, it involves coming together in assembly at the different levels of ecclesial life, listening to one another, dialogue, communal discernment, consensus building as an expression of Christ's making himself present, alive in the spirit, and decision-making in a differentiated co-responsibility. End quote. I have worked in bureaucratic organizations. Some, at least one was a Catholic bureaucratic organization, as, as well as volunteering in a couple Catholic ones. And I have worked in a fair number of secular bureaucratic organizations. That's right out of a secular meeting. If you're like, what are these bureaucratic meetings? Like, here, let's write a mission statement. That's what that is. It's painful. It's painful. This is, that, that is not even a Catholic thing. I don't even know where, like, this is this is like revolutionary nonsense coming together in assembly at the different levels of ecclesial life communal discernment there's a, one of your terms you got to remember communal discernment and consensus building remember these these are the, the the language of democracy this is what they're trying to do to the church okay that's the purpose and that's how you're going to get your doctrinal changes in the future as I say here, they're certainly not Catholic values, but they do lay the groundwork for a revolution in the church, which we will go over tomorrow in tomorrow's video. You're not going to miss this. But anyway, this is from the open. Here's another quote from the opening pages that will really should raise a few red flags. Quote, in order to realize a true listening to the father's will, it seems necessary to deepen the criteria of ecclesial discernment from a theological point of view, so that the reference to the freedom and newness of the spirit is appropriately coordinated with the event of Jesus Christ that happened once and for all. The event of Jesus Christ. Okay. This requires, first of all, clarifying the relationship between listening to the word of God attested in scripture, the reception of tradition and the magisterium of the church, and the prophetic reading of the signs of the times. To this end, it is crucial to promote anthropological and spiritual visions capable of integrating and not juxtaposing the intellectual and emotional dimensions of faith experience, overcoming all reductionism and dualism between reason and feeling. It is important to clarify how the convert conversation in the spirit can in integrate the contributions of theological thought and the humanities and social sciences, even in the light of other models of ecclesial discernment that are carried out following the See, Judge, Act, Scan, or articulating the steps of recognize, interpret, and choose. The contribution that Lexio Divina and different spiritual traditions, ancient and recent, can offer to the practice of discernment should be developed. Indeed, it is appropriate to value the plurality of forms and styles, methods and criteria that the Holy Spirit has adjusted over the centuries, and they're part of the spiritual heritage of the church. End quote. 
this is a fragmentation of Catholicism and complete secularization. And also, this is absolute modernism. When you hear emotional dimensions and faith experience, this is stuff right out of Pashendi that was condemned by St. Pius X. Go back and listen to my, my recent video on Pashendi from a couple weeks ago, where I go over the core elements of modernism that he describes there. I will be doing my follow-up here maybe this coming Saturday. I haven't recorded it yet, which means I'm a little behind. Thank you, Synod of Sin. But go back and listen to that one. He condemns this outright. <laughs> okay. But here's the other thing. The social sciences are not science. They're not even scientific. I should know. I have a PhD in a social science. I am actually a trained social scientist, strictly speaking, in the field while providing some useful skills for analysis and the application of theory to real world problems. It's not a science and it shouldn't be taken as seriously as they're taking it here. So the next alarming point, the synod emphasizes the community aspect of the Eucharist and then brings in words like diversity and unity. No mention of the real presence. The strength of the Eucharist is in the community it builds around it. Quote, The celebration of the Eucharist, especially on Sunday, is the first and fundamental form by which the holy people of God gather and meet. Where it is not possible, the community, while desiring it, gathers around the celebration of the word. In the Eucharist, we celebrate a mystery of grace of which we are not the creators. By calling us to participate in his body and blood, the Lord makes us one body among ourselves and with him. Beginning with Paul's use of the term koinonia, see 1 Corinthians chapters 10 to 6, chapter 10, verses 16 to 17, the Christian tradition has treasured the word communion to denote at the same time full participation in the Eucharist and the nature of relationships among the faithful and between churches. While it opens us to contemplation of divine life, to the unfathomable depths of the Trinitarian mystery, this term refers us to the everydayness of our relationships and the simplest gestures with which we open to one another re really circulates the breath of the spirit. What does that even mean? This is why the communion celebrated in and flowing from the Eucharist configures and directs the paths of synodality. From the Eucharist, we learn to articulate unity and diversity, unity of the church and multiplicity of Christian communities, unity of the sacramental mystery in the variety of liturgical traditions. Traditional Catholics need not apply. Unity of celebration and diversity of vocations, charisms, and ministries. Nothing shows more than the Eucharist that the harmony created by the Spirit is not uniformity and that every ecclesial gift is intended for common edification. Good quote. You following along so far? This document is meant to be read by normal Catholics, by the way. <laughs> Jacob Reed says, in the spirit of synodality, let us dialogue with the most vulnerable among us. After having sin synoding with them, we must be most pastoral to the most vulnerable appetites. <laughs> yeah. Another uh, traditional Catholic says, this is low church Protestant sounding. It is. And what it also sounds to me like is something meant. Imagine, for instance, you were to go down to your local, uh, say, food stamp office and you get you would go away from the people who work the front desk there who do good work generally. But we're talking about the people behind the scenes, like the people who make all the decisions about how the office runs. And you're trying to get them to write a document about how people need to meet and come together. That is what it sounds like to me. All right, let's continue. 
here comes the talk of justice. And especially for those who uh, will say move a lot around a lot from one place to another on the grand scale. It's a rather touchy subject our hosts don't like us talking about, so we should tread carefully here. But in general, the document distorts the concept of the preferential option for the poor, which itself was a troubling concept and was controversial when introduced by John Paul II. But it was controversial in light of the history of the teaching of the subject of poverty, spiritual poverty, and the such. And that's a topic for another place. But here it turns what John Paul II said into something essentially ideological and partisan. We'll just say that the section on justice and the preferential option for the poor likely drew smiles from our secular rulers, who are fully capable of reading between the lines of what was written in that document. This leads to a section called Church from Every Tribe, Tongue, People, and Nation. Document expounds positively on the work of missionaries, points out the long history of the church adapting itself in some way to local cultural needs, and this goes back millennia, you know, that sort of thing, before getting to this nonsense here. Quote, the church teaches the need for and encourages the practice of interreligious dialogue as part of building communion among all peoples. That's condemned by the church, by the way, before the council. In a world of violence and fragmentation, a witness to the unity of humanity, its common origin and common destiny, in a coordinated and fraternal solidarity toward justice of the social kind, peace, reconciliation, and care for the common home seems ever more urgent. The church is aware that the spirit can speak through the voices of men and women of every religion. That's heresy. Conviction and culture. End quote. Conviction Sure, it depends what you mean by that. Culture? Absolutely. No question. But the other? No. Heresy. The truth is that interreligious dialogue is just institutionalized and formalized lukewarmness. That's what it is. Popes prior to Vatican II condemned this form of dialogue. The church didn't participate unless it was calling people to conversion. Now it's widely encouraged. Widely encouraged. In fact, here it's we're supposed to do it now. Another error proposed is the development of an ecumenical martyrology. That's also heresy. If you don't understand why it's an error, all I can say is that you should read up on what the doctors of the church said about schismatic groups, of which they were talking about primarily Orthodox and Protestant groups. They're, they'd categorically reject the idea of, of an ecumenical martyrology. It would be categorically rejected. This is another break from the history of the church in the synodal document. And then we come to the meat. The long section, this is the last thing I'm going to talk about here. The long section on the laity, which I expect a future synod to revisit. This was the thrust of the synod itself. There's a call for the synodal church, as they keep calling it in this document, to recognize, quote, co-responsibility of mission in the church. This is the democratization of the church that we keep talking about. And it's the angle for which the modernists will use to push the James Martin issue more and more on the church, as well as to achieve deaconettes, priestettes, and a future popette. That's their goal, and this is the mechanism that they'll use to build off of. This leads directly to the section on the role of women in the church. We get a renewed call for examining the issue of lady deacons being made, regardless of what Francis said this week. I'll remind you all of what I mentioned in my live stream yesterday on this. And I reiterated essentially what Tim Gordon said, because he's probably right. Francis was against giving the Eucharist and the sacraments to those who broke their sacramental matrimonial vows and then got hitched in the secular system. Francis was against giving them the Holy Communion or anything else except maybe confession if they promised in confession to live as brother and sister. And then he issued a Morris Letizia, reversed his course in the most ambiguous way possible, and then recently unambiguously said, no, the 
communion for those in that situation is what we're doing and then just moved on. Hence why many of us think that the that deaconettes are coming, regardless of what has been said recently on the issue. People pointing out the church isn't ecumenical at, by its nature. They say the word spirit instead of Holy Spirit. Right. That's why we sometimes wonder what spirit they're talking about. And again, in my video tomorrow, we have a cardinal who is participating in the synod who is trying to warn everybody about how bad this is. This has been really kind of emphasizing how just, just fake this all is. Right. This is this is one of the reasons why I, I really recommend that anybody who's doing this kind of commentary on YouTube use just everyday language as much as possible. Keep the $20 words that are evidence of your, your highfalutin, worthless college education, otherwise worthless, you know, to a minimum. Speak as if you're talking to normal people. Try to be normal, okay? Because the documents should be either accessible to the laity if you're writing for the laity or accessible to priests who can then easily teach the laity from documents. That's what it should be. And that's what we're dealing with here. And that's, this is, it, this is just a nonsensical document. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say, Brian. I can't even read your comment, but yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Member of the channel says the mere concept of interreligious dialogue is absolutely sacrilegious. They are forgetting the responsibility to evangelize and convert, or perhaps they're ignoring and disregarding on purpose. I think it's on purpose. And there it we again, I will remind people for those coming in late. The James Martin topic was barely mentioned at all. It was only mentioned in passing, and that's probably for two reasons. One, Francis authorized the blessing of their uh, of of the people in that situation up to the discretion of the priest, which takes care of much of the problem in the short term. And the other reason is because they announced that they're going to be pushing this off, this topic off to the October 2024 meeting of the Synod of Sin. Because this is not done yet. We're not done with the Synod of Sin. What we're going to have happen next is Francis may issue some kind of document in, uh, in response to this document that may or may not happen. You're going to get a lot of media talk about it and then talk about what comes next. And probably things happening at the national synodal levels will probably happen too. Well, that won't surprise me. Mark, I think you're correct. You can hear the saints crying and the devil laughing. I, I think so too. Because this whole point of the synod is to create structures that most of us aren't even aware of, where the worst catechized generations in the history of the faith can actually then be the ones who are the spearhead for bringing in this change to the church. That's the purpose. But that's your synodal document in a nutshell, folks. Let's get some final thoughts, questions, super chats, whatever you want to do. Get them in now because we're going to unplug here in a few minutes because it's three in the morning on a Sunday where I'm sitting. <laughs> now, I'm up for the day, but there's still, you know, things I needed to do to get ready, including the weather here. It was so cold that it's... Uh, um, that I need to actually go test the roads, make sure they're like the bridges in my area, make sure they're not so slick that they're, they're, that I can't drive on them. Yeah, there's likely that's likely to happen. You're getting a lot of messaging from Rome, almost certainly. You're going to probably get a lot of messaging from Rome between now and next October on a lot of issues. There's a wild card here, though. Is will Francis be with us this time next year? I tend to think he will be. So this is why I tell you to pray for the church in every video. Anyway, 
for those watching later on, the reason you can't, I got a couple questions about during the afternoon yesterday, why people couldn't participate in the live chat. The live chat's only available during the video actual launch. There's nothing I can do to change that either. I can, I can hide the live chat, but I leave it so people can see it and make uh so that they can actually see what I'm, when I'm responding to comments. So Chris Jackson says, the role of women in the church is in the convent and the home. The role of men is in the clergy, monastery, leading a family. There's also complementarity that we tend to forget about. And we're, you're seeing like the language of the world all through this document, which is one of the more distressing things. Are we supposed to dialogue? We, it's a call to conversion. It's, there are a lot of, like, I, this is where you should go, like, read traditional apologetics about how to defend the faith and how to work on doing, like, the missionary work of bringing people to the faith. That's not the subject of what I do on this channel, but you should go look for some of the, I always tell people when it comes to books about the faith, read old books, read things before the 1960s, because after the 1960s, things got really messy. Uh, Rafi, uh, this, this, the feet, the, the, the real feast of Christ the King was earlier in the year. There was uh today's feast of Christ. The King represents the post-conciliar change to the theology of Christ. The King, uh, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, I think at Rorate Chaley just published an article on how radically different the today's feet, Christ, feast of Christ. The King is compared to the traditional understanding of it and how this one represent ref, reflects the revolutionary spirit in the church. Anyway, all right, folks, we're going to hear, unless you have any final questions about our things today, we're going to wrap up here shortly. So, yeah, no problem for the clarification. I, Feast of Christ the King has always been one of my favorites. I just, and I'm not, I don't object to people doing like, recognizing our Lord's kingship twice a year, apart from that. It's just that the changes made don't really reflect at, at all. Like that's two different theologies clearly reflected in those two uh, feast days. And at Rorate Chile, maybe I'll put a link to that in my uh, show notes today since I'm touching on this at the end. And people at the end will be like, what are you talking about? A great reflection for you Sunday, for some Sunday reading is Dr. Kwasniewski's, his article on this whole subject. Anyway, thanks for tuning in today, folks, as always. Pray for the church. If you're joining us late, watch this from the beginning. Anyway, God bless.